Thank you for joining us here at Life Church. It's an honor to share God's word with you today. Our prayer is that you will connect with Jesus Christ as you hear his word online. We would love to have you visit one of our upcoming gatherings. For more information, visit our website at www.lifechurchofrichmond.org or contact our church offices and we'll be happy to help you in any way that we can. Let's go now to one of our recent services where you can experience a life-giving message from God's Word. of the Lord. Amen, amen. Y'all want to y'all wanna start off with a little joke before I preach? You know, we got, we have several police officers in our church, so we got some Hanover deputies and some uh, Henrico people, and uh, you know, and if you live in Hanover County, you know we got a lot of good old boys in Hanover, right? So one day Officer Steve uh, pulled over Bubba pulled him over because he was weaving back and forth. And so he pulled him over and he said, hey, Bubba. <laughs> he said, hey, Bubba. He said, you're weaving on the road here. We're going to have to uh, make you do a breathalyzer test. He said, oh, no, Officer Steve. I can't do no breathalyzer test. He said, well, why not? He said, I'm asthmatic. I've got severe asthma. He said, if I blow into that thing, I might have an asthma attack and die. He said, okay, well, let's see. Well, then I'm just going to have to take you down to the station, and we're going to have to do a blood test. He said, oh, no, Officer Steve, I can't do no blood test. He said, well, why not? He said, well, I'm a hemophiliac. He said, and if you put that needle in me and take my blood, I might bleed to death and die. He said, okay. He said, well, we got one more thing. He said, I need you to walk down the center line in this road. He said, oh, no, Officer Steve, I can't do that. He said, why not? He said, I'm too drunk. (laughs) He was too drunk. (laughs) So, y'all ready to go to the word of the Lord? Acts chapter 11, verse 15. It's a beautiful day in the house of God. Good to see all your smiling faces. Last week, how many of you were here last week? What a great surprise to have Pastor Suarez with us. Wasn't that awesome? Amen. 
It was such a joy to have him with us. But two weeks ago, we were last in Acts chapter 11, and we were talking about Peter being in Jerusalem, sharing with the Jewish believers what had happened to the Gentiles in Acts chapter 10. Peter had preached the gospel to the Gentile household of Cornelius, and they had received the gospel. They were baptized in water, and also they received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Then these Jewish believers in chapter 11 were challenging him and his interaction with the Gentiles. So we know that Peter recapped the entire story in the first 17 verses of Acts chapter 11. And our text for that day was Acts 11, 15, 17. And today I'm going to use that same text again. So if you have your Bibles, go to Acts 11 verse 15. If you don't, you can look at the Bible on the screen. And it says this. As I began to speak, Peter continued, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as he fell on us at the beginning. Then I thought of the Lord's words when he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And since God gave these Gentiles the same gift he gave us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to stand in God's way? Amen? Now, two weeks ago, I preached to you, don't stand in God's way. Peter defied tradition. He went against what was culturally acceptable. And I went into great detail of why what he did was so unorthodox. He said in verse 17, who was I to stand in God's way? So today, from that same verse, I want to preach, don't stand in God's way, part two. (laughs) I don't have a fancy creative title. Don't stand in God's way, part two. Can we pray together? Father, we love you. I want to say thank you today for your word. Thank you for the worship, the beautiful worship experience we've had already, for your presence filling this house. And we want you, God, to just touch our hearts, touch our minds, fill us with your glory, and let the church say amen. Amen. Now, if you were not here for part one of this sermon, or if you've not listened to it yet on the website, I encourage you to do so. I talked about, just quickly to recap a couple of key points, I talked about why it was so hard for the Jewish believers to accept the radical changes that Peter had presented by preaching the gospel to the Gentiles. I won't reiterate all that today. I also talked about how that we as Christians have been guilty of doing the same thing, inadvertently getting in the way of God and His work. We recognize that There's all kinds of things that God doesn't care about that sometimes we as Christians get all worked up about. Amen? All kinds of things that Jesus did not come into the world to die for. Ultimately, the cross demands that we as believers give up our prejudices, our preconceived ideas, all of our personal preferences, if they stand in the way of the gospel. Can you say amen? We've got to get out of our boxes, our social boxes, our religious boxes, our traditional boxes, our comfort zone boxes. We know what we have to do, but what I want to talk about today is, why is it so hard to do it? Amen? Why is it so hard to change, or why is it so difficult for us to accept change? Why is it so hard to make changes in our lives, even when we know that there are changes that we need to make. Peter had to make some huge changes in his religious and prejudicial thinking. And hear me, it was not easy. 
But ultimately, he got out of God's way, and the rest is history. I don't know if that was the Lord or Wesley, but the lights just came on up here. Amen. Everybody say change. Today's world is ever changing. Technology, jobs and career changes, housing locations, uh, automobiles, the internet, the way we bank, how we commute, even how we communicate now. And it's changing almost daily. I'll never forget the first time my kids told me that they talked to somebody and I asked them, I said, oh, I didn't know you called them. They said, we didn't call dad, I texted. And I was like, I thought you said you talked to them. Dad, that is talking. I'm like, no, it's not. (laughs) But that's the way people communicate now. I remember when email was new, and now email is getting old. People don't hardly ever use email anymore, amen? And, you know, we used to work at one job or live in one house or drive one car until it died. Does anybody remember in the good old days when your car died and then you would change the engine? See, there's a few of us that still do that. But, you know, they don't do that anymore. We just park it, junk it, and go buy another car. Those days are gone. I'll give you a perfect, really kind of silly example uh, in a discussion that we've been having at my house this past week. And this time, I'm the one who was reluctant to embrace change. My grandson, Mason, loves all things cars. Actual cars, actual trucks. And he loves the movies, Cars, one, two, or three, it doesn't matter. His favorite movie is any of those Cars. Now, those Cars films. Now, it's, it's no longer on Netflix. And then I just found out, because we went to YouTube to try to watch it. And now YouTube wants to charge you $2.99 to rent it, to watch it online. So I'm like, this is ridiculous. But especially when you got a kid who's Cars, play it through, Cars, play it through. Everybody know what I'm talking about, amen? So what does old-fashioned me want to do? I went on Amazon, and I looked, and they got the three-box set of Blu-rays for 25 bucks. I'm like, man, this is great. And then my family said to me, Lauren, Lindsay, and Robin, why don't you just buy the digital version? You can have it on the, I guess, on Amazon or on your computer or whatever. You can tell how educated I am on the subject. And I'm like, they're like, then you can watch it anytime you want to because it's in the cloud. I'm like, I don't want the cloud. I want my box set of DVDs sitting on the shelf. They're like, Dad, you're a Tyrannosaurus Rex. You're a dinosaur. I mean, what's the deal? I don't want the cloud. Now, am I being antiquated and not adopting change? Probably. See, because here's the deal. Change is not easy, is it? Even simple stuff, even dumb stuff. Anybody here still own a VCR? Yeah. Oh, good, good. So do I. For those home movies that we still want to watch because I'm too cheap to send it to that, what do you call that box company? Dude, they're so expensive. But eventually I better because, as the commercial says, they're deteriorating in the box. You know, it's all these little things, things that, you know, kids now, uh, it used to be what's a, a cassette tape. Now, what's a CD? 
I had that conversation. Dad, why would you buy a CD? You can put all the music on your, your, uh, your Apple Music and listen to it. It's only $10 a month. Well, a CD is only $10. But then you got to load it on your computer. So, see, I get it. I understand. But change is never easy, right? But, guys, I want to tell you, there's some things a lot more important than Blu-rays or the cloud that we need to change. Can everybody say amen? For example, I'm not going to get into the weeds of it, but all the racial drama that has stirred up in our country since President Obama was elected and now President Trump. And we've got all this ugliness in society. I'm going to tell you, I thought it was going to get better. But it seems in some cases it's worse than it was when I was a kid. Somebody look at your neighbor and say, we've got to change. And can I just take it one step further? And change begins in the house of God. Can the church say amen? We've got to change. Black, white, Latino, doesn't matter. Some of us have religious issues that we need to change. Some people hate ministry. Some people despise pastors. Some people don't like the person on the other side of the church or maybe on the other side of your aisle. (laughs) I don't know what it is. Some of us are stuck in denominational dogma. We need to change. Some of us have anger issues. Some of us have addiction issues. Some of us have relationship issues. Some of us have drama issues. Just ask somebody that you love. They'll tell you. But I want want to warn the person that you love, be prepared for more drama. We've, We've got all kinds of issues. We've even got mental health issues. And not changing, hear me, has us standing in God's way of what is best for your life. Some of us, thank you, some of us have been wrestling with the same old stuff all of our life, and God is looking at us and going, if you would ever just make some changes, my best is better than what you are doing right now. Amen. Amen. So we got to learn how to deal successfully with change in our lives so that we don't stand in our own way. Now, here's the good news. We can find direction from the Bible on how to deal with change. We are capable of change. That's a newsflash for some of you. You are capable of change, but change is not easy. As a matter of fact, most people, if we're honest, will only change if the change benefits us. And some people even have a hard time with change that benefits them if they think the cost is too high. Well, I can see how that would benefit me, but the cost is too high, too much sacrifice, too many personal demands. It will require too much. It reminds me of an old Peanuts cartoon. Charlie Brown was talking to Linus. You know, Linus has always got the the real answers. And he said this, he said, perhaps you can give me an answer, Linus. What would you do if you felt like no one liked you? Linus looked at Charlie Brown. He said, well, I'd try to look at myself objectively and see what I needed to do to improve. That's my answer, Charlie Brown. And Charlie Brown replied, I hate that answer. (laughs) You see, sometimes we know exactly what we need to do, but we hate that answer. Oh, I want to fix this area of my life. What can I do? Oh, well, you know what? Since you're asking, one, two, three. I hate that answer. I know it's what I need to do, and I don't want to do it. 
See, we don't, we don't like to change. We want the results of change, but we don't want to change. So let's talk about this for a little while today. What are some reasons that we resist change? Let me just give you a few if you have your pens or if you have your phones. Since we're talking about change, well, you can take a few notes. Are you ready? Here's the first thing. We resist change when the change is not self-initiated. We resist it. People don't want to feel manipulated. They don't want to feel coerced. They don't want to feel pressured into it. Sometimes they don't even want it to be suggested to do it. It's like the husband who told his wife, he said, quit nagging me. I told you I'm going to fix that six months ago. Sometimes if you want somebody to do the opposite of what you want them to do, tell them what you want them to do. We don't want to change when change is not self-initiated. We resist it. We also resist change when our routines are disrupted. Amen? How many of you will admit you're a creature of habit? We like to do, and let me just assure you, you young people, the older you get, the more habitual you become. The more you like your habits, the more you like your routines. Can all the old folks say amen? And I'll let you know how I feel when I get there with you. Amen? <laughs> Davina, I like what you said. I'm not my number. That's right, I'm not my number. I felt that. Amen. <laughs> Some days I'm more than my number. Amen. <laughs> That's right, but I still own a VCR. Amen. But folks, we, we, we get accustomed to our routines. But hear me though, habits are not instincts. They are acquired reactions. Don't miss that. A habit is not your natural instinct. A habit is your acquired reaction to something. It's what you've learned to do. And here's the, if we learn our habits, that means we can also unlearn our habits. First we form habits, then our habits form us. We don't like for our routines to be interrupted. Here's another reason we resist change, because it creates fear of the unknown. Amen? Change means traveling in uncharted waters. It means getting out of the box. It means, it, it means my insecurities will start to rise because I've never been here before. You know what's really sad? A lot of people would rather live with old problems than create new solutions. They would rather just take the devil that they know rather than try to fix their situation and try something new. Amen? Here's what I know. If your change doesn't work, you're no better off than you were before. I mean, no worse off than you were before. Amen? Sometimes we're afraid of the unknown. You know what? You see this a lot in churches. You see this a lot in failing businesses all the time. We think that change is a dirty word, or, 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 but it's because we fear what the future might look like. We're afraid of the unknown. And that kind of leads me, segues right into the ne next point. We resist change because of our fear of failure. See, that's what we fear about the unknown that we're going to fail. The greatest mistake that a person can make is being afraid of making a mistake. That's the greatest mistake you can make. I have preached a lot of sermons about failing forward. Don't let the fear of failure cause you to not become who God called you to be. Amen? We resist change when we're not sure if the reward matches the effort. Amen? Now, I can spend a lot of time on this one but I won't. But people always weigh the advantage, disadvantage in light of personal gain versus loss. 
And hear me, being lazy or unmotivated creates low levels of efforts in us, which results in low levels of reward. Amen. Amen. We're always, we're weighing it out. Is the reward going to be worth the effort? Bottom line is, hear me, too many of us are not willing to pay the price. Could I get a little bit more amen from the body of Christ today? Amen, hallelujah. People are too satisfied with the way they are. A lot of people would rather die as they are than change and live as they could be. We resist change. Here's another one, and I could park on this street for a while too. We resist change if we're negative thinkers. Negative Nellies always resist change. You know what the, the epitaph on a, a negative person's tombstone ought to read? I expected this. <laughs> I knew this was going to happen. <laughs> you see, regardless of where they are currently, negative thinkers always find disappointment in the future. And I'm going to tell you right now, I love you. But if you're negative, I don't want to hang out with you. Because you know what? Can I just be real? I got enough negative stuff pulling on me already that I'm trying to not let beat me down. Come on, somebody. Tell the truth. Tell the truth and shame the devil. Amen? Negative thinkers will give you three wrongs for every right. Five risks for every one reward. Amen? Negative people resist change. People also resist change if they lack respect for the leader. Amen. Now, I'm just throwing it out there. I'm telling you all the, all the truths about it. It could be a church change. It could be a corporate change. It could be changes at school or in the college. It doesn't matter. Even family changes. People view change according to the way that they view the change agent. Can I just tell you, if you have a history of disastrous changes... People are going to be a little bit more reluctant when you propose the next great thing. Amen. Hear me. Let me just throw this in for a minute. If you're a leader in your family or in your job or at school or in your church, whatever it is, you've got to have some corn in the crib. You've got to have some change in your pocket if you're going to lead any organization into meaningful change. Because you know why? Sometimes if you're a change agent, you will make mistakes. It is inevitable, amen? But so you need a little bit of change in your pocket. You need to have some deposits so when you mess up and you make a withdrawal, there's still something there. Amen? Another reason people resist change, tradition. Everybody say tradition. Here's a joke for you about tradition. How many traditional people does it take to change a light bulb? The answer is four. One, to change the bulb, and three, to reminisce about how good the old bulb was. <laughs> See, never forget this about traditions. Hear me. Traditions are to serve man, not man serve traditions. But I've also learned the flip side of this coin is don't tear down a fence until you find out why somebody put it up. Don't immediately throw out a tradition just because you don't like it. You need to find out why did somebody build that fence. Why does the church do this? Why does my school have these rules? Come on, somebody. Why has my family always behaved in this kind of way? Why do we, we used to have the 21 rules of this house posted on our refrigerator. We had a big dent in the side. I bought it from the sear scratching dent. And when we moved to our new house, it was like, oh, no. Now we can see the big dent. So we bought this 21 rules, and we stuck it over the dent. 
Our kids were real short, so we slid the poster down real low so that all our neighbors and all of our friends would think it was there for them to read. No, we was hiding that big dent. Confession is good for the soul, amen? But you know what? All of those rules, and Robin had put that up, and she used to teach. When the girls would break a rule, she would bring them right up to that refrigerator. We will speak kindly and respectfully to one another. Find out why the fence was put up before you tear the tradition down. Amen. Folks, can I just tell you, we got to have enough integrity to recognize if a tradition in your life was written in stone by the hands of Jesus or if it was written in sand by the hands of a man. You can go right home on that point right there. That, uh, that, was, that was good preaching right there, Pastor. Hallelujah. In an effort to not stand in God's way, are you willing to admit that you personally need to make some changes? Amen. One of my favorite lines came from Earl Weaver. Anybody remember Earl Weaver? He used to be the coach of the Baltimore Orioles for many, many years. I'm sure he coached some other places too. I remember his Orioles days. He was a very colorful, I'll use that word, former baseball manager who used to get into it all the time with the umps. And his favorite attack line when he would argue a call was this. He would say, are you going to get any better or is this as good as it gets? That's pretty ruthless right there. They would make a bad call. Earl Weaver would run out there and go, are you going to get any better or is this as good as it's going to get? Life Church, can I tell you in my best Earl Weaver voice, are you going to get any better or is this as good as it gets in your life? Buddy Thompson, are you going to get any, I'm looking in the mirror, are you going to get any better or is this as good as it gets? I'm going to tell you right now, with hope and faith and with all the confidence I can muster, I believe you can be better than who you are right now. (laughs) Hallelujah. Are you going to stay stuck where you are or change so you can go places you've never been? I wish I would have had this mindset 20 years ago. Because, yes, thank you. Don't we all? And let me, I'm going to say this, I mean this with all the passion that I can right now. I want to talk to everybody who's under 35 years old. I'm being dead serious right now. Don't wait around till you're 53 years old and say, I wish I would have. Make the changes now. This isn't a financial seminar, but can I please talk to every 20-some-year-old? I don't care how broke you are or how, start saving money now. Start saving money now. Start putting money in a retirement account now, amen. Start making lifestyle changes now. Start praying every day now, amen. Start reading your Bible every morning now. Start going to church every Sunday now. Get in a small group now, amen. Join a ministry team now. Date godly people. Oh, somebody say amen. Date godly people now. And if you're married, be a godly person now. Change now. Change now. We got to quit worrying about changing everybody else. And look to ourselves first. Because can I just tell you, I got plenty to work on in the mirror without telling everybody else what they need to do. Consider how hard it is to change yourself and you'll understand what little chance you have of changing somebody else. Ain't going to work. 
Howard Hendricks, in his book, Teaching to Change Lives, wrote this, and I quote. He said, if you would, please grab a pen and write down somewhere in the margins of this page your answer to this question. Have you changed lately? In the last week, let's say, or the last month, the last year, can you be very specific or must your answer always be incredibly vague? You say you're growing. Okay, how? Well, you say in all kinds of ways. Great, name one. You see, effective teaching comes only through a changed person. The more you change, the more you become an instrument of change in the lives of others. If you want to become a change agent, you also must change. Amen. All right, we've all agreed that we need to change. But wanting to change is not enough. We need to develop a strategy for change. Only a right plan for change will bring about successful change. So how can I change? Now, I learned a version of these points many years ago, but I've adapted them over the years. So let me just quickly share with you. It's four or five real quick points that will give you a strategy for change. I hope they help you. Are you ready? If you weren't writing down before, you can write down now. Here's point number one. When you change your thinking, you change your beliefs. Now, I think I I originally heard these from John Maxwell. I don't know where they originally came from. Amen. At this point, everything I say, I either read or heard somewhere else. But if you change your thinking, you change your beliefs. What's a belief? A habit of mind in which confidence becomes a conviction that we embrace. That's what a belief is. A habit of mind in which confidence becomes a conviction that we embrace. If I could do just one thing for most of you here today, I would love to like to help you change the way you think. Change the way you think. Change the way you think. I heard a true story about a pastor starting a missions church. He was very frustrated. He was very discouraged. True story. This is what he said, and I quote, I knocked over a thousand doors this summer. Not one contact came to church. And his buddy asked him, he said, well, then what is your new game plan? He said, this fall we're going to knock on 2,000 doors. (laughs) Hello. You get an A for effort, but you get an F in the thinking department. I knocked on 1,000 doors. Nobody came. How are you going to fix it? I'm going to knock on 2,000 doors. Hear me, redoubling your effort in an attempt to change at things that have been proven to not work for you is not effective. If you do the same thing you've always done, you're not going to get a different result. Amen? Sometimes you got to mix it up. Sometimes you got to do something different. There's an old Bob Newhart skit. Now I really aged myself. Just by a show of hands, how many of y'all even know who Bob Newhart is? Wow. This church is getting older. Make a note. We need to, we need to win more young people. We're getting really old here. <laughs> There's an old Bob Newhart skit. Don't look it up right now. But go home and Google it. It's called Stop It. One of my favorite skits ever. He's a counselor, and a lady is telling him all of her problems, and he gives her a two-word solution, and he drags it out in this counseling session. And he, she gets out, and she says, do you want me to write this down? He says, well, you know, it's pretty easy. It's two words. He said, but if it will make you feel better, write it down. And, you know, she's going through this thing, how she's got this phobia about being buried alive. And she's just moaning to grow. And he's listening. He says, I got, well, write this down. This is what I'm going to tell you. And she goes, okay, I'm ready, I'm ready. He goes, stop it. She's like, what? He said, stop it. Stop thinking about it like that. 
And it's an oversimplification, but he makes a powerful point. we got to change the way we think. We can radically change our lives if we just stop doing some of the destructive things that we're doing. If we would stop thinking some of the destructive thoughts that we're thinking. Turn to your neighbor and say, just stop it. Just stop it. Amen? I'm never going to pass that test and get the job that I want. Stop it. Stop it. I'm never going to lose that way. Stop it. Try something else. My marriage is never going to get any better. Stop it. My kids are always going to be rebellious. Stop it. Life, hear me, life and death are in the power of the tongue. Come on, you need to start speaking some positive things. Speak life. Speak faith. Speak hope. And if that's not good enough, let me give some of you spiritual folks some Bible for it. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 8. And now, brothers, as I close this letter, let me say this one more thing. Here it is. Fix your thoughts on what is true and good and right. You say, oh, I thought this was all just positive uh, self-help stuff you are giving me. No, 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 I'm giving you Bible. Fix your thoughts on what is true and good and right. Think about what? Things that are pure and lovely and dwell on the fine good things in others. Think about all you can praise God for and be glad about it. Hallelujah. Your day should have just got a lot better from that one verse. Man, you just don't know. No, you don't know. And I don't know. And by the way, you haven't walked in these shoes either. Think the right things. How should we think according to this verse? Positively. Allows me to look for the best and receive the best. Creatively. That allows me to find answers when other people quit looking. Think the bottom line. Amen? This allows me to prioritize and get rid of junk and busy work and idle thinking. Think practically. This allows me to apply principles to my everyday life. Because if you can't apply your thinking, it won't do you any good. You can't change yourself if you won't change your thinking. The mind of Christ. When you change your thinking, you change your beliefs. That's point number one. Point number two, when you change your beliefs, you change your expectations. Belief is the knowledge that we can do something. It's that inner feeling that what we undertake, we can accomplish. For the, for the most part, all of us, we really we have the ability to look at something and know whether or not we can do it. So in belief or in faith, there's power. Our eyes are opened. Our opportunities become plain. Our visions become realities. Did you know I saw this building long before I ever saw this building? I saw this building when we were having church in an old leaky 7-Eleven. 9514 Woodman Road. I saw this place. I saw this place when we went to Oak Knoll Middle School. I saw this place before that at Virginia Randolph. I saw this place at Douglas Wilder. I saw this place at, I'm missing one of ours, Moody Middle School. I saw this place long before it ever came. You got to change your beliefs if you're going to change your expectation. No one has to be changed to their past. No one is bound to the point that they cannot change if they really want to. And if they are willing to work at it, change your beliefs. Believe that change is possible. 
And can I just tell you the truth? If I did not believe that people could change, I would just resign pastoring and I'd sell real estate full time. Amen. But I believe people can change. Amen. I believe in people and I believe they can change. And if others believe in you, hear me, you need to believe in you. If you don't think anybody else believes in you, I want you to look me in the eyes. I believe in you. I believe in you, Carl Johnson. I believed in you when I taught Bible studies at your house in the West End. I believed in you when you were in a head-on collision on 295. A drunk driver was coming down the wrong side of the interstate, crashed into you head-on. I believed in you. And guess what? I still believe in you. Amen? Noah Evans, I believe in you. A year ago when I hired you to be the youth pastor of this church, I believed in you and looked me in the eye. I still believe in you. I still believe in you. We need to believe in ourselves. Change your beliefs. Change your expectations. God has a plan for my life. God wants to fulfill that plan. You need to say this stuff out loud. God is going to help me succeed in this plan. I can know what God's plan is for my life. You know what I pray in my office before I come out here on Sunday mornings? I say, God, you know all my faults. You know all my fears. But God, I'm just going to ask you for 40 minutes today, would you just please just speak through me? Would you just use this mouth, God, and tell somebody something? Just speak through me. Speak despite me. Speak in spite of me, Lord. God, you can do it. Simple obedience to God and His Word will almost always clear away the clouds of doubt and confusion and allow you to experience God's blessings in your life. See, i got to change to grow with God's plan in my life. Hear me. I must grow to God's plan because God's not going to shrink His plan to fit me. See, some of us, we're asking God to have a lesser plan for us. Nope. You're never going to be fulfilled until you grow into the plan that He has for you. If you have the proper belief system in place, you're capable of believing that you can change, that God wants you to change, and that with His help, you can do it together. Point number three, I'm in a hurry. I'm running out of time. When you change your expectations, you change your attitude. The first and most important step towards success is the feeling that we can succeed. And if you set high expectations, your attitude has to improve. Positive expectations or faith, as we like to call it. It produces excitement and desire and confidence and enthusiasm and commitment. If we expect more out of ourselves, you will ultimately rise to the occasion. Hear me. You're a child of God. You have a right to expect more out of life. Oh, come on, somebody. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Amen? You have a right to get more out of life. You have a right to expect more out of church. You have a right to get more out of church. You have a right to expect more out of your kids. You will get more out of your kids when you do. Some of you, the problem is your expector has expired. Start expecting again. Expect great things, amen. Every day, every Sunday, whenever we get to go out, and we don't always do, but most Sundays we go out to lunch. When I walk through the door of a restaurant, I'm expecting a good meal. Or I wouldn't be there. I'm at least expecting something that's going to fill my stomach. Or I wouldn't be there. Change your expectations, you change your attitude. Point number four, when you change your attitude, then you change your behavior. 
How many of you know that attitude is everything? Attitude is everything. I would rather hire a three to work for me with a great attitude than a nine with a poor one. Amen. You know why? You can teach skills, but you can't teach somebody how to get a good attitude. When you reach the stage where you can start changing your attitude, a foundation is starting to develop that will get you where you need to go. John Maxwell teaches something called the Rebecca Principle. I love it. I haven't shared this in a long time. I want to share it quickly with you today. Go to Genesis chapter 24, verse 19. This is not complicated either. This is easy. You don't even need to write it down like Bob Newman said. Look at this. Maxwell calls it the Rebecca Principle, verse 19. When she had given him a drink, she said, I'll draw water for your camels too until they have had enough to drink. If you read the story, the guy asked Rebecca for a drink. You know what she said? She said, I'm going to give you a drink. I'm going to do what you asked me to do, but guess what? I'm also going to do more. You didn't ask me to, but I'm also going to draw water for your camels. And not only that, I'm going to draw water for your camels until they are through drinking. Now, I've never watched a camel drink, but the story is that when a camel starts drinking, a camel drinks a lot of water. So you know what Rebecca said is, you asked me to do this, but I'm going to do this until this is the result. It's the and then some principle. Some of us just need to get an and then some attitude in our life. And then some. When you go to work, don't do enough just to get by. Be the and then some employee. Can I give you a secret real quick? Some of you are wondering how to make more money. Some of you are wondering how God's going to bless you financially. Be the and then some employee on your job. Get there early. Leave a little late. Work a little harder than the next guy. You say, man, this isn't in the Bible. No, it's not, but this is really good advice. Actually, it is in the Bible. Whatsoever you do, do it as unto the Lord. And then some. Change your attitude. And then some. And then I'm going to conclude. Praise team musicians, come on up. I did it. I got in before I ran out of time. I'm not really going to stop. I just want to make them think I am. Amen. No, I'm kidding. Last point. Why don't you stand with me all over the house? That way you know I'm really going to stop. Here's the last point. Last way to not stand in God's way. When you change your behavior, you change your life. See, why am I talking about all this stuff? Change your thinking. Change your attitude. Change your expectations. Because when you change your behavior, you change your world. You change your life. Someone once said this, life itself can't give you joy unless you really will it. Life just gives you time and space. It's up to you to fill it. Let me say it again. Life itself can't give you joy unless you really will it. Life just gives you time and space. It's up to you to fill it. You see, we don't always get very many instant replays in life, do we? And so if you need to make changes in your life, you need to make them down. Emerson said this, people are always getting ready to live but never living. We're always getting ready to do something, but we're we're never doing it. I'm getting ready to change, getting ready to, well, let's see, it's almost September. I'll wait till January. We're getting close. 
I'll go on a diet then. I'll start exercising then. I'll stop smoking then. I'll stop drinking then. Well, it'll be Valentine's Day in six more months. I'll tell my wife I love her then. I'm going to be nice to my kids later. I'm going to be a better employee later. I'm going to really do good on my next job. I'm going to get good grades next semester. I already blew it. Next semester. You know what? Summertime's almost over. As soon as school starts, I'm going to get up 30 minutes earlier and pray for 15 minutes. Really change my world. No, I'm going to start right after Labor Day. Always planning, but we're never doing. Amen. I'm not here to condemn anybody. I'm looking, I'm telling you my life. Always getting ready to live, but never living. Most of the time when, when changing, the best we really do is we make cosmetic changes. What do I mean by that? Changes that look like changes, but are not really changes. We change our talking instead of our thinking. New cliches, same old thoughts. We change our environment instead of our expectations. We, we change our appearance, but not our attitude. When we focus on the results, though, that we desire out of life, but we're not willing to change ourselves, we're just going to get frustrated because you're getting the cart before the horse. But if you change your behavior, you can change your life. Folks, this is the altar call right now. Hear me. Some of you right now, God is talking to you. Not ten things. One thing. I'm trying to give you hope today. You're not going to come up here and fix everything. Can I just pop that bubble? It ain't going to happen. And if you think it will, that's why you keep going home disappointed and, and disillusioned and discouraged. No, but you know what? This one thing I do. I'm going to do this one thing. I'm going to work on this one thing. So today I'm going to open this altar. What behavior, attitude, thought, action do you need to change to get out of God's way in your life? Every head bowed and every eye closed. What area of my thinking do I need to change? What belief do I hold on to that is holding me back? What, what limited expectations are hindering my personal growth? What lie have I believed my whole life that has held me hostage? What abuse or action took place in my past that I've just not been able to move past? But today, I'm going to start the change. And one final word of encouragement, Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. I'm going to open this altar right now. Some of you, you're ready. You're ready. Step forward. Just walk down to this altar. Say, God, with your help, with your help, I'm going to make a change. I'm going to make a change. Come on, that's it. That's it. God, with your help, I'm going to make a change. I'm going to make a change. I'm going to change the way I think. I'm going to change the way I react. I'm going to change this destructive behavior. I'm going to change to become more like you. 
Or God, I'm going to implement, I'm going to make some changes by implementing some good things in my life. God, I'm going to start a prayer life today. I'm going to break out my Bible. I'm going to read it today. God, I'm going to start speaking life instead of death today. I'm going to go to work tomorrow with a different attitude. I'm going to do it because I'm making the commitment right now today. Why don't we lift our hands all over this house? Come on. Father, in the name of Jesus. God, help me to change. Help me to get out of my own way. Help me to get out of your way, God. Come on, church. Whatever it is, you personalize it right now. You personalize it right now. God, help me. Help me to make that change. Help me to make that change, Lord. Help me to make that change. Help me to make that change. That's it. That's it. That's it. Hallelujah. That's it. Right where you are. God, help me to change. Help me to change, God. Help me to change. And now I'm ready. Help me to change, God. I'm tired of being a glass half empty person. I want to be a glass half full person. God, help me to change. That's it. I want to change, God. I want to change. I want to change. And now I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. Yes, yes, yes. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Your presence is an open door. Yes, Lord. Yes. So come now, Lord, like never before. Hallelujah.
To not let fear of the unknown, fear of failure, complacency, same old, same old. God, help us to just get rid of all the excuses and give us the courage to change. Change my heart. Change my soul. God, change my behavior. Change my attitude, my feelings. God, change my ugliness towards certain people change my biases, change my prejudices change anything in me that's not like you I want to be a better man I want to be a better Christian I want to be a better father I want to be a better worker God I want to do it all for your glory and God I pray right now for the men and women in this room we can change our world if we change ourselves we can change our homes if we change the man in the mirror And God, I speak it by faith. I want to think on good things. I want to think on positive things. I want to think hope and not despair. I want to think faith and not failure. God, I want to speak life and not death. God, I just thank you today. And I know that I can do all things through you who strengthens me. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I'm not what I ought to be, but I'm not what I used to be. Thank you, Jesus. 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 Jesus. 